Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. A copy of God's Word in your hand uh, that you can see that what I'm reading is straight from the Scripture and that we preach through it. So grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles as we turn. All right. Today we're going to be talking about the idea of service, the idea of service, and today we're looking at um, week of our membership expectations. So when we talk about what it means to be a member, we talk about uh, we have five expectations, and they're pretty simple. Um, they are worship attendance. We believe that if you're going to be a member here at Seneca Baptist Church, we want you to come to church. We feel like that's kind of a big deal. Um, number two is we want you to be involved in a Sunday school class. A Sunday school class, that's where a, a church our size gets small. You build relationships, you do Bible study together, you hold each other accountable, you love each other, take care of one another's needs. That's where that happens. Third, last week was generosity. Uh, we talked about last week how generosity is not because we want something from you, but because we want something for you. That generosity is a tool that God gives us to set us free. And so we'll be uh, just briefly mentioning that today, and then today is service, service. And just as Jackson said, that we are the body of Christ, that when we were saved, we're not just saved from something, but into something, and we're saved into Jesus's body. So that means every one of us have a function to fulfill. Every one of us has a gift that God has given to us for the good of the church, and so we'll be looking at that. And then lastly, we're going to talk about Affirm the Baptist Faith and Message next week. And so if you would, please come back and be a part as we talk about what it means to have sound doctrine here at Seneca Baptist Church. Now, grab your word, and in your hearts, let's honor Christ's word. I'm looking at verse 30. Chapter 35, verse 30, we'll be reading through chapter 36, verse 7. Are you with me, church? Amen? All right. It says, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with, a, with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. He's filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. 
Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to do the work. Verse 3, And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and Moses and said to Moses, the people bring more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary, so the people were restrained from bringing. Verse 7, for the material that they had was sufficient to do all the work, and more. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would teach us out of the book of Exodus what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, why we need each other, and how through salvation we have been called to yourself and made useful for your service that we might make known the name and fame of of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, to the next generation and to those living around us. Father, today we're praying that we would see our place and we would join you in building your church. We love you, O Lord. We thank you for your word. May it be fruitful time in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now here's the quick backstory. The book of Exodus. Um, the book of Exodus, God spoke to Moses, said, okay, go to the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt. Go to them, rescue them out. So Moses went in, did a number of miracles, um, ten of them in fact, and then after doing those ten plagues, uh, on the tenth plague, the people of Israel were set free out of the land of Egypt. They came into the wilderness The Lord parted the Red Sea. They walked through the Red Sea. The Red Sea smote down their enemies and killed all their enemies. And uh, they went through the Red Sea. And God provided miraculously on the other side of the Red Sea in the wilderness as they were walking toward the promised land. God provided manna from heaven, quail uh, in abundance, water from a rock. And God preserved this people for himself as they walked into the wilderness. He brought them to a mountain, the mountain of God, and he revealed himself to all the people in a very tangible, personal way. And there on the mountain, God gave them the covenant or the Ten Commandments, and he said, if you will keep these, then all the blessings of heaven will be upon you. The bad news is, before Moses even came down, they couldn't keep the commandments. They broke the commandments, created an idol, And they began to worship this idol who had led them out of Egypt. Then God says to them, build me a tabernacle. A tabernacle. A tabernacle was a portable temple in the wilderness. That the glory of God, the presence of a holy God could dwell among them. And so God tells them to do that. In chapter 25, verse 8, it says, let, me, or let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Now, what other God in all of human history has said, I want to come down to my people and I want to dwell among them? There is no God like our God. In fact, all other gods are not gods at all. 
And, but our God, the great God, Yahweh, comes down and lives among His people and dwells among them. God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle in the wilderness that they could carry with them wherever they go as they make their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. A journey that should not have taken very long, but you know, as I do, that it took them about 40 years because of their disobedience. And according to chapter 25, it was, the tabernacle was three things. Number one, a place of God's presence. It was where the glory of God rested. And when the glory of God rested there, they would put down camp. When the glory of God raised up, camp would move. Secondly, in chapter 25, verse 16, it would be a place that kept the writings of God. So all of the history of the world to this moment, the law of God would be kept there that they might know them. And in chapter 25, verse 22, it would be a place where God would meet with Moses, the man who would mediate between God and humanity. It was a place where they would do those things, but it was also a place where Israel could worship God. It was a place where they could offer sacrifices of praise and of sacrifices for their sin and their cleansing. A place where Moses would intercede for Israel. It would be a place where God could be known and worshipped and sought for mercy. The tabernacle that God commanded them to build in the wilderness was for them, but guess what? It was also for the generation that would come. Because when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt, God knew without a shadow of a doubt that there would be a generation that would have to die off in the wilderness. And so God wanted a testimony of His name and His fame and His glory and His goodness, His mercy and His holiness to be among them. God wanted the next generation to know who He was and He commanded this generation to build a tabernacle there. And just as God commanded Israel to build it, God also began to provide materials needed to accomplish the command. Now listen to me, church family. I need you to lean in here real close. When God gives vision to His church, God will always give provision to accomplish His vision. Always. Always. When God gives vision, when God gives a command, He will always give us the ability to fulfill it. And so the two themes that we see in this text are generosity, which we're not going to spend much time on because we spent a lot of time on that last weekend, and service. So when we talk about generosity, um, have you ever wondered where in the world did these people get all the things that they built the tabernacle with? I mean, these are nomadic homeless people, right? Where did they get all this stuff? Now, if you go all the way back, and I think we have it on the screen, Mr. James, to Exodus chapter 12, verse 35 and 36, it says, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, and they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Look at the last phrase up on the screen. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So in the Exodus, God gave the people of Israel favor with the Egyptians... And when the people of Israel asked for something, whether it was gold or fine linen or yarn or whatever it might be, the people of Egypt gave to them what the Lord would one day require to build the tabernacle. You know, what's so fun and what's so interesting when you think about this story is they had no idea why Moses told them to ask for stuff from the people that had held them captive. 
and now. They're in the wilderness, and God says, hey, I want you to do this. And do you remember all the stuff that you brought out of Egypt as you plundered the Egyptians? That is exactly how we're going to do it. Because I provided for you ahead of time. Isn't that good news? Now understand this truth. When God leads his people to do something, he will provide everything needed to accomplish the task. Everything. Where God guides, he provides. When it's God's will, it's God's bill, right? Go back. When God gives vision, he will always give provision to take care of the vision. When God redeemed his, from people, they, er, redeemed his people from Egypt, they came out wealthier than ever, and Israel left us an example to follow. Now, I heard a quote not too long ago, um, and it goes something like this. And some of you guys maybe have heard this quote from me, but um, in a secular world, I heard somebody say, um, get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on your can. Do you follow me? Uh, get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on your can. And, and come on, let's just be honest. Isn't that so tempting in the world that we live in today? Because of the unknowns going on around us, we're thinking, okay, how do we get all we can, can all we get, and sit on our can? But that's not what the uh, Israelites did in this story, and they left an example for us. I, we're tempted to store it up and hunker down. Um, and, and that's how we know that money can have such power over us. Things can have so much power over us. And that's why Jesus said last week, you can't serve both God and money. We often think that we own possessions, and what we find out is that possessions own us. And last week we, we talked about that generosity is for our good. You've probably gone to church and you've heard a sermon on money and and you've thought to yourself, that's why I don't come to church very often, because the preacher always asks for money. All he wants is my money. And the reality is, is that Jesus doesn't need your money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Every resource on earth belongs to him and him alone. He is the author of every good and perfect gift. And so if he needs something, he will move money whether we want him to or not. He has the resources that we need, and sometimes it comes through us, and sometimes it comes in the weirdest of ways. Did you notice how he used in this story even an evil nation such as Egypt to provide for the building of his tabernacle? Isn't that funny how God would do that? Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This is how we know that money has lost its power over us. Lean in. This is how we know. When you have the ability to give it away, you know it's lost control over you. When you have the ability to be generous, that's how you know that the chains that money often has to our hearts, those chains have been broken. That's how we know, is generosity. Generosity is good for our soul. It frees us from idolatry. Now, Israel in the story, they had different priorities which can help to instruct us, okay? So, think about it. God says, I want you to build me a tabernacle and bring all the things that you have. And now, they could have thought to themselves, you know, that golden brooch, brooch that I brought out of Egypt is really beautiful. I'd like to keep it. 
All those fine twine yarns and linens and all the things that they plundered the Egyptians for, they could have thought to themselves, you know, that belongs to me now, and I'm going to use it how I see fit because I envision a really nice outfit in a few days. When I get to the promised land, man, I'm going to be looking good. But they didn't. But they didn't. Why not? Because just moments ago, days ago, weeks ago, not very long ago, they had nothing. They were slaves to a foreign people, and now they had plundered them, and they knew who gave them all these good gifts. They're instructive to us. So I can have this hold on to, I can hold on to golden brooches or fine yarns, or we can build a tabernacle and have God dwell among us. See, Israel was stewarding riches, the riches of the world, so that the generations to come would know, love, and serve Yahweh. Listen, listen to me, church family. We steward We steward for a time. We manage the master's resources for a short time in an effort to gain an eternal reward that's going to last forever. Because the money that we have and the houses that we own and all the cars and the things that we have that we think are going to be so satisfying, they're going to be trash heaps and the content of landfills one day, not too far from now, And so we have to think about what's going to last. And Israel didn't always get it, but they got it this time. They got it. And the Holy Spirit was moving and stirring hearts to give, and they were doing it with generous hearts, willingly, not under compulsion. Moses wasn't going, I've watched, the Perrys have not come down with their check this week. But God was moving in their lives and in their hearts, and they were giving in abundance and willingly and generously. They were traders, not traitors, but traders. They were trading temporary, temporal possessions for eternal spiritual rewards. And that's what we see. They were investing in what could not fail, and they did so with generous hearts. So we see generosity. But here's where I want to land for a few minutes. I want to land on this idea of service. In the idea of service, I want to spend time thinking about three words. The three words, two of which you'll see specifically, and one of which you'll see indirectly. The three words are called, filled, and equipped. Called, filled, and equipped. Does that sound like salvation? God calls us out of darkness into marvelous light. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the domain of his beloved son that's what he does he calls us out of slavery into the family we're called in this idea of called so let's look at chapter uh or chapter 35 verse 30 it says then moses said to the people of israel see the lord has called by name did you see that the lord has called by name Now, this is, in this text, this is a picture for us of salvation. That God has redeemed His people from slavery in Egypt, and now He is calling them to Himself for service. Understand, though, understand that our primary calling in the Christian life is not to service, but a calling to Himself. It is a calling to Himself to himself, into a relationship with Jesus. You were saved from sin 
into a relationship with God. And the great reward of the gospel is that once we were separated from God, our sins created a division, Isaiah 59, 2. Our sins separated us from Him. And now, this relationship that once seemed so impossible for us to have, a sinful man and a holy God, now because of the blood of Jesus, He has offered us free and unadulterated access into the presence of God moment by moment and day by day. And you and I have that. And now the great reward of the gospel is not that you get forgiveness or heaven, but you get God. You get Him. What parts of Him? All of Him. In the garden they were separated. They were kicked out. Why? Because of their sin, but because of what Jesus did. Not because of your obedience or your behavior or your morality. Not your church attendance or your Sunday school participation. Not the expectations that we have. None of those things save us into a relationship. But we are saved by the blood of Christ. By grace alone. Through faith alone. And we have access to the very throne room of God. Now it says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Isn't that good news? You got a need? Go boldly to the throne of grace. Well, what if I'm sinful? Look to Christ. What if I don't have it all together? Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. We can, we're called into a relationship with a holy God, and God in this passage, He calls them by name. And, and he calls them first to himself. Now, Jesus did the same thing, didn't he? Before he called the disciples and sent them out, he called them up the mountain to himself. That's always a reminder that our greatest usefulness in the kingdom, or our greatest priority in the kingdom is not usefulness and service, but our greatest priority in the kingdom is to know and love Jesus. To know and love him. Because we oftentimes get the cart before the horse, don't we? We just want to get busy. We get want to get busy. We want to do stuff. But do you remember there's this great warning passage in Matthew chapter 7 that goes something like this. And I might misquote it a, a little bit because I don't have it all the way memorized. But, but it, Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Do you remember that? And they looked at him and they said, but, but Lord... Haven't we prophesied in your name? And haven't we done many mighty miracles in your name? And haven't we cast out demons in your name? Now that sounds like a bunch of good service, doesn't it? And then Jesus responds to them, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Look at me. We... Church family, we can get so busy serving that we miss out on the knowing. We can get so busy being busy in the Father's business that we forget that our greatest calling in life is not to a ministry, but to Christ first. What did Jesus do every morning? Got away. The crowds are looking for Him. There's lots of people to heal. We could do lots of good work right here. And he goes, where are you? I was just up on the mountain with my father. He understood, didn't he? We don't. You remember the story of Martha and Mary? 
How many Marthas are there out there? We just want to get busy. Lord, do you not see that I'm out here slaving it and doing all these things? I'm cleaning the house and taking care of all these needs in the church. And look at Mary. She's just sitting over there with Jesus. Straighten her out. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, (laughs) you're anxious, you're troubled about so many things. But Mary, now listen, Mary's chosen the good portion. And I'm not taking that away from her. What's the good portion? It's not serving. It's not being useful. It's not accomplishments. It's knowing Jesus. There was another time that the disciples went out and they came back and they were rejoicing all the things that they'd done. Demons were subject to us in your name. And Jesus looks at him and he says, don't celebrate. Don't rejoice that demons are subject to your name. Just simply rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. Your identity does not come from what you do for God. Your identity comes from God doing something for you that you couldn't. That's the gospel. Because if I am what I do, that's bad news. It's bad news. From the beginning of time, mankind does not have its identity in what they do, but in whose they are. And you and I, too, You and I too. Now, as we serve, do we want you to serve? Yes. Do we want you to do? Yes. But just understand, see this distinction in your mind, okay? I can serve for my salvation. I can do for my salvation. I can give and be generous for my salvation so that I can try to earn this thing called salvation Or I can do and give and serve from my salvation. So one of them says, please, 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 please let me in. I'm trying real hard to make you happy with me. Please love me. Please save me. Please accept me. That's when we're working for our salvation. The other says, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. And because you saved me, how can I be useful to you? And we can never get those confused. And there's subtle differences. And really, the only one that can know the difference is you and God. Because you can put two people, we said this last weekend... Side by side, serving in the same ministry, giving the same amount, doing the same things. And one is saying, I'm doing this so that maybe one day God will let me in. And the other one is saying, God has redeemed me by the blood of the Lamb. And because He has given His everything for me, I give my everything for Him. And what's the the difference of the matter? It's not their actions, it's their heart. It's their heart. So calling, calling is so important. The second word here is filled. Do you see it right here? See it on the screen? It says, he called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, and the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God. What happens at the moment of your salvation? You're filled by the Spirit of God. You're indwelt by the Spirit of God. The moment that you're saved, Jesus Christ himself comes to live in you in spirit form. So the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus, and then Jesus comes to dwell spiritually in us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
instantaneously at the point of salvation. And the Spirit of God, I want you to listen to me, I'm going to say this twice. The Spirit of God in the people of God accomplishes the will of God by the power of God. The Spirit of God in the people of God accomplishes the will of God by the power of God. And oh, how His people need His Spirit. Now, one of the downfalls of today's church, the modern church, is that we have increased the value or the importance of gifts and talents and decreased the importance of the Spirit working. And so we've got a bunch of um, modern America's Got Talent kind of churches out there. And it's really easy for pastors and for ministers and like, like Christopher and I to lean back on talents and abilities rather than trusting in it, rather than trusting in the Spirit of God. We can do things because we're naturally talented to do certain things, but those things are going to be burnt up in an instant at the day of judgment. We are, we're sometimes we can be using our talents apart from the enabling of God's Holy Spirit. And, and we become like tools in a workshop. They're sitting on the bench. They're beautiful. They're polished up. But apart from the Master's power and the Master's hand, we're worthless to the Master. We're cold steel unless we're in the Master's hands. And that's one of the great dangers for each one of us trying to accomplish God's will our way. We know what God's will is, but come on, have you ever tried to help God accomplish His will, but you wanted to do it on your terms? Just me? Okay. I'll pray for you. Right? You, God, God, I know what you want to do, but if you'll step back, I'll take care of it. That's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? I'm going to help God accomplish His will my way. Because I know better, of course, since I'm omnipotent and omniscient. Leonard Ravenhill, great revivalist of the 50s and 60s, he says it this way, no man is greater than his prayer life. I'm going to stop right there before I finish the quote and go, we either need to say amen or ouch. No man is greater than his prayer life. He says, the pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shop window to display one's talents. The prayer closet, though, allows no showing off. Isn't that good? Ouch. But the will of God can never be accomplished in the power of man. Can't. Not in a way that's pleasing to him. That's why God says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my what? But by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, in the Baptist church, we don't really like talking about the Holy Spirit because it's weird. And if you read the New Testament, the Holy Spirit seems to do weird things. And, and now let's just be honest, the pendulum of the Holy Spirit is swung so far this way that we kind of get ew, weird feelings 
that we have, all, instead of finding a correct biblical version of what the Holy Spirit is and does, we have swung to the opposite side of the spectrum and we just ignore Him. We just don't talk about Him. But listen, the Holy Spirit in the Scripture does not make you weird. He makes you useful. He does not make you weird. He makes you useful. Now one day, if you'd like to sit down and talk about the spiritual gifts, I'd love to have a conversation about that, what they are. But the Holy Spirit puts our minds in order. Like, like if we're a disassembled vehicle. The Holy Spirit puts the pieces back together, connecting the wheels to the axle to the drive shaft, making the cogs connect together. And the Holy Spirit puts fire, unction, power within the car to make it function as it should. And the, the Christian is put in order by the Holy Spirit of God. The mind renewed. The will aligned and fire put within us, empowering the Christian to keep the will of God and to be useful in his kingdom. God's Holy Spirit has been given to you to make you useful for service in his church. The third word, equipped. Now, we don't see this word equipped in the text, but we see the idea of the word all through the text. All right, let's, let's look, grab your Bibles, go to verse 31. He has filled him with the Holy Spirit of God with skill, intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving wood for, for work in every skilled craft. Verse 34, and he has inspired him to teach. Verse 35, he has filled him with skill. Chapter 36, verse 1. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence. Verse 2, Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart had stirred him to come up and do the work. Do you see the idea of equipped? So when God calls us to himself, he fills us with his Holy Spirit and he begins to equip us for the calling that he's given to our lives. Now, how many of you remember... Um, elementary school when they're picking dodgeball teams or kickball teams or whatever. You still live in that nightmare? All right? Anybody out there? If you weren't the most athletic one, uh, you were like, well, I guess I'll choose Ryan. You know, he's the last one left. I'll take him. But God doesn't work like that, right? God does not, I love this, God does not call the equipped, but what? He equips the called. He equips the called. We see that all through the scripture. I mean, just look at the history of the Bible. Abraham, 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 he was a feeble old man. Jacob was a deceiver. Joseph was prideful. Moses was a stutterer. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was a doubter. Esther was a Jewish woman in a man's world. Samson had women problems. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Jeremiah was too young. And Mary was poor, teenage, one-wed mother. And God somehow finds people... He calls them, and then he equips them to do his work. And when he, the, when he wrote the book of Acts, it says that these, un, or these common, uneducated men have turned the world upside down. Common and uneducated. Now that would be a pretty big, uh, mean thing to say to somebody. You're just common and uneducated. I'll punch you in your nose. But what an incredible 
statement about how God works in the unlikely. Fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, common uneducated men. And what did he do? Turn the world upside down with those who are called, filled, and equipped. You have been called. If you're in Jesus, you have been called. Some of you, God is calling right now. He's calling you to Himself from sin into into relationship with Him to repent of your life and trust Christ for true life. Some of you, that's you. You've been called. And if you've been called, you've been filled. But just because you've been filled does not mean you're willing to be equipped. But if you're willing to be called, or if you've surrendered to the calling, and you've been filled, and you will surrender to His equipping, oh man, He can do incredible things with your surrender. Incredible things. 1 Corinthians says it this way. Chapter 12, all about spiritual gifts. He says there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let me put that in your and my terms. That means that God has filled you and given you a gift of equipping that's good for the upbuilding of the church. Every one of us who are in Christ and walking in the Spirit, have a spiritual gift that we need. And without you, we limp. We, like Everly said, we hop down the aisle. And part of the problem in the American church is that we rely on talent rather than on God's Holy Spirit. So we put people in positions that they ought not to be. And it's caused issue. And so, like Sutton said, we're trying to use our arm as a mouth and our tongue as a leg, and we're just jacked up like a soup sandwich. Sorry. He says, verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are, listen, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Now, when you get to to Christianity, you don't walk up to the buffet of of the Holy Spirit and go, I want a little of that, and I want a little of that, and I want a little of that. God says, I have a will. If you'll surrender your will to me, I'll use you in bigger ways than you could ever imagine. He apportions His spiritual gifts, His grace gifts, not because you're spiritual, but because He is good. He apportions these at His design. And we function together. Where's God called you to serve? Some of you are brand new to the church. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for 75 years. And we can't can't find you. We need you. We're limping without you. 
here, I'm not saying this is what your, your giftings are, you're called to, but here's some areas of need. Good News Club. We need help with Good News Club. We need help with children's ministry on Wednesday evening and Sunday morning. We need help with safety and security. Prayer ministry. Prayer is the way that we get done with all the things that God wants to do through us. Prayer is the power. Wednesday night dinners are about to start those back up, and Christopher Satcher is going to be taking the lead on cooking, and he might need a team of people to help. Maybe you have gifts in some of those areas, and maybe there are many more. All have been called, filled, and equipped to do something of service. Gosh, I got so much more to say, but I'm going to, I'm going to stop. All of this is pointing forward. Your generosity and your service are not... They are making us ready for heaven. Why? Because the tabernacle is the shadow of the true temple in heaven. This is getting us ready. Generosity says, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Service says, this is why I exist to know Him and to make Him known. And one day, I will serve day and night before the Lord. Service and generosity, they prepare us for heaven. And they're good for our souls. And we expect those who are a part of our church family to join us in the work because we can't do it alone. Would you stand with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just for a moment, would you meet with the Lord and maybe say, Father, I want to just re-surrender myself to you again. Is there anybody in this room today who needs to be saved? You don't know where you would spend your eternity, but you want to know, you want to nail that down. And today you can know by trusting in Jesus if you want to take a next step there. If that's you and, and you're not sure where you would spend your eternity, I want you to come and find me. It's simple. It's turning from your own efforts and trusting in Christ's efforts. You can do that today. It's not a magical prayer. It's not your faith, it's the object of your faith. Place your faith in Jesus. There are some of us who need to say, Lord, I've been on the bench too long. It's time to get back in the game. Father, we come to you this morning, and as we sing just kind of a closing hymn, we want to be consecrated to you. We want to be called, filled, and equipped. For your service. Use us how you see fit. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to respond. Membership or salvation. Or any other thing. I'm right here. I'd love to walk with you through that. And pray with you through it. So you respond as we sing.